Um, We are continuing on in our series this morning, looking at the first half of the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. So if you want to follow along with me in your Bibles, go to Colossians 3.1. The the scriptures will be on the screen as well. If you need a Bible, uh, we have Bibles um, on every other seat throughout um, the, uh, the room. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take that home with you. That is our gift to, to, for our gift to you. Um, so Colossians chapter 3. Let's start in verse 1. Um, we're going to read, um, we're going really 12 through 14 today, verses 12 through 14. But to provide some context, I want to start in verse 1 and read through verse 14. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In those two, you once, want, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off old, the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Here's verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is God's word. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, I thank you for your word this morning, and as we look at these qualities that you're about to lay out for us today, I pray that we would allow your word to change us, that we wouldn't tune the word out, that we would allow your spirit through the word to um, change the way we think, change how we feel, and change how we live our lives as we leave here. So I pray that you would do that here today. It's for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the main idea of last week's sermon, to connect these together, because this is in some sense a part two from last week, is really found in verse 11. Let me read verse 11. It says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. What Paul is saying here. Through God's grace and our belief in the gospel, we are united to Christ. And because we are united to Christ, that is our new identity. We don't find our identity in our skin color, in our socioeconomic class, in um, what we do for a living, our status in life, where we grew up, what we do for a living. Any of those things, our primary identity is now found in Jesus. We're Christ followers. And if anywhere in the world this should be true, it should be in the church. 
This was the message from last week. Then Paul has this little statement, this phrase at the end of verse 11, I think is key. It says, it says, but Christ is all and in all. So Christ is all, meaning just he has authority. He has ultimate authority. He has authority over everything that's been given to him by God. And it says Christ is in all. So how can Paul say that Christ is in everything? Well, this context, he's talking to the Christians in this church. And what he's meaning is that there's one spirit and this spirit is inside. It lives inside all of the Colossian Christians. So Christ is in all of you because of the one spirit. And this is important because this is why Paul can say there is, there's no classes of people. It doesn't matter what race you are. We're all one because there is one spirit and that spirit it lives inside of Christ followers. So that is a reality. That's a spiritual reality that Paul is trying to get across in verse 11. And to simplify this a little bit, even the whole, all, all of uh, chapter 3 we've looked at, Paul is saying that our vertical relationship with God influences greatly our horizontal relationship with others. We treat others based off of how we view ourselves in God's eyes. But if you're anything like me, you hear a sermon that Blake preached last week and you're excited. You're like, yes, that's the way. I see it. Let's, let's do this. I need, I need to change. There are some things that I need to change the way I think. But then Monday comes around and it's back to what do I need today? What do I want today? What am I anxious about today? How do I appear to others today? And the further on in the week you go, the harder it is to remember these words, this, this, this charge that Paul has given us. Like, this is hard stuff. This is really hard stuff that we're talking about. And Paul knows this as well. That's why he doesn't stop in verse 11. He continues on in the next few verses. And that's what we're going to do today. So really two questions we're going to answer today. I think Paul wants us to wrestle with these questions and know these questions when we leave. First, how does God's love for us influence how we treat and love others? It's the first one. Second one, what does this actually look like on Monday and Wednesday and Saturday? How does this practically look as we live our lives? So let's look at verse 12. Paul says here, put on then, based off of what I've just said, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And the better way to, to understand this, I think a better way to read it is, is as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, then put on. Because that's the way we're going to look at it this morning. So let's look at those, those three identity statements. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. These words are identity words. They're full of meaning and comfort. They have their roots in the Old Testament, the way God has always spoken of his people. So chosen ones. Ephesians 1, 4, Paul teases this out a little bit more in another letter in Ephesians. 1, 4 says, God chose us in him, in Jesus. That's union with Christ language, right? Like in Jesus, he chose us before the foundation of the world. So before mountains, oceans, planets, stars, any other humans were created, God knew those who would believe, and he set his affection and attention on those, and he loved those who would believe 
those who would have faith. Okay? So this is, we have to let that sink in. God knew you before the foundation of the world, if you are in Christ. So we're chosen. Second, we're holy. And when you see holy in the scriptures, most often it means set apart for God's purposes. So when we're holy, it just means we're set apart for the purposes of God. And third, we're beloved. Like we're loved by someone. We're loved by God. So we're chosen in him, in Christ. We're holy and we're beloved. Like these are titles. These are, this is who we are now as followers of Jesus. And you'll notice these are all plural. These are, these are all directed towards a group of people, God's people. So when we hear these, and, and often, this is oftentimes with any of Paul's epistles, we, we should not read these primarily as an individual. We should read these primarily as being a part of a group of people that Paul is writing to. Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, not just individuals at Colossae. So we have to first read it as a, a group made up of individuals rather than I'm an individual that happens to be a part of a group of people that Paul is writing to. It's very important that we read this from a plural aspect. And so Paul is saying there's a purpose to this. All all of history is heading in this direction, and I'm giving you a roadmap on how to get on board with what God is doing. Revelation 21, the last chapter of the Bible, describes the scene where this is all headed for God's people. Right? Jesus comes back, sets up his new heaven and new earth. And we know on this earth, there's cities. There's, there's, there's cities and, and countries, those kinds of things. And so more than likely, there's going to be cities in the new heavens and new earth. And this city is going to be inhabited by people from all countries, all tribes, all races, all languages, all socioeconomic backgrounds. They're going to, we're going to all be together worshiping Jesus. And it describes the scene as a place where there's no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more hate, no more disappointment. And anything that is not holy and good and right will be gone. This is where all of history is heading. And God is preparing a people to inhabit this place. And he wants us to to, to do that on earth, though. He wants a slice of this, a preview of this, a taste of this to happen on earth before we get there. God is creating a place for us. So this isn't just, hey, be, be kind for the sake of being kind to being a good person. No, this is God calling us out, choosing us, setting us apart for his purposes and loving us to an end. And the end is to create the new heavens and new earth and a people. For his possession. So before we really get into this, this list, um, I want to say if you're, a fo- if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, if, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, I want you to wrestle with something as we talk through these things, since this is addressed to the church. What is your primary motivation and where do you get your power to love others? Because in, in the church, we would say that that love, that ability comes from the way that God has loved us. And that 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 funnels out to how we love other people, those around us. So the question I want you to wrestle with is, is is how does that that look in my relationships if I don't believe in God or if I don't have a relationship with him? This list we're going to look at, most of these things are things that most people would say, yeah, that's a good thing. Kind of the golden rule idea, treat others as you want to be treated. So some of this list is not going to be super jarring if you don't know Jesus. But my question would be, why should you treat others the way you do? 
Why should you treat others well if you don't love God? You don't have a relationship with God. So let's look at this. Paul says, first, put on then, put on then, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So put on then. This is a verb, kind of a a rare verb, not used very often. But if you think, when you hear put on, if you think of clothes, as I do when I hear that, you're tracking with Paul. He wants you to think clothing when he uses this verb. He could have used, hey, Christians, be this kind of people or do these things. He doesn't. He strategically chooses put on. He wants us to feel that metaphor. (laughs) So to, to go with that metaphor, when we come into God's family, when we become followers of Jesus, it's like we are given a new wardrobe. All of our old clothes, our old garments are tossed out. God removes those, and he gives us a closet full of new clothes. We don't have to go buy those things. We don't have to go chase for those things. We don't have to go search for those things. He has given us that new wardrobe in this closet. So they're in the closet, okay? So think of that um, metaphor as we walk through this. Now, here, here comes the list here. Now, I don't want you to tune me out when I go through this list and think, oh, I got this, okay? Yeah, these things, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. Stay with me here, okay? Let's, let's walk through this and really reflect on these things. So compassionate hearts, okay? So this is a, a heavy word that, that it does mean empathy, but imagine if somebody you know well is going through a tragic, horrific um, season of life and you're trying to empathize with them. To truly empathize and put yourself in their shoes, you're going to have to dig deep. Because you're not going through that. You're going to have to dig deep to be tender-hearted towards them, to be a good listener, to be the kind of person they need in that moment, to feel what they're feeling. Okay, so a lot of this is just empathize. And it doesn't have to be people who are going through tough ordeals. This, is, this applies for everyday living. It says as, as normal everyday life, we should want to put ourselves in other shoes. Think what they're thinking. How, how, are they, how did they receive what I said to them? When I'm around them, how, how do they experience me? How's my tone? Am I loving to this person? How's my posture? All of those things are empathizing and trying to figure out how a person sees the world. This is compassionate hearts. Second, kindness. This is really another word for really generosity. And I think the best way to describe kindness is when you're around a person who's kind, you just know it, right? Like, like you leave a person who's kind, there's like a pick-me-up there. You feel better about everything from being in someone's presence. It's like they, they walk around with this kind of posture of their hands open, just giving. You be giving of time, giving of resources, giving of, of, of energy and just emotions. They make you feel like the most important person when you're in their company. And you leave feeling, that was really nice. That person is so kind. Okay, so that is, I think, what this idea of kindness and generosity is. Humility, third one. Okay, so humility was not a, a positive virtue in the Greco-Roman worldview. It was associated with humiliation. So this list, when, when Paul rattles this off, this one's like, eh, I don't know if I want to be humble because that's looked down upon in our culture, in that culture. And I think somewhat same with our culture, maybe not to that degree, but humility just means low, lowliness of mind. You consider others better than yourself. You want other people to succeed just as much as you do or more than you do. Like you're able, you're able to celebrate their wins, 
even though you're not winning at whatever you're doing, you're able to celebrate other people in the midst of their successes. <coughs> Fourth, meekness. And I feel like every time meekness comes up, we have to clarify this does not mean weakness, okay? And one commentator said meekness means controlled strength. Like there's strength, but you're controlled in how you use it. I think in this culture, we have this, like everybody like just wants to get outraged about everything just for the sake of being outraged these days. And we just kind of want to jump on those trains of outrage, depending on whatever week it is. And I don't think that is controlled strength. Okay, meanness is you've got power, you've got strength, and you're choosing when to use it. It's the opposite of harsh or brash. I think it really means taking an honest assessment of yourself and saying, this is who I am. I'm not going to try to be someone I'm not. I'm not going to try to puff my chest out to make me seem greater than I am. But I do have some strength, and I use it in the appropriate times and ways. Lastly, patience, Um, long-suffering, having a long fuse, not quick to get angry. Okay, so we're patient. Now, let's go back to this idea of put on. This is important. These things just don't happen, right? Like, you get up in the morning, there is a, con- even though it doesn't take a lot of energy for most of us, you have to make a conscious decision to put on clothes, like you, you do, right? And so over time, it gets more automatic. And that's why I think this metaphor is so brilliant, that over time, as we grow in our faith, putting on these things should become second nature. It should be for us. Like for, for our three-year-old Jax, like some days he thinks about clothes, but some days he doesn't. So we still have to remind him, hey, buddy, like it, it's good. We probably should put on some clothes now because we're about to go out. We've got to get out of your, your PJs or whatever, okay? So like you have to be taught, oh, no, yeah, yeah, it's time to put on clothes. So this is what Paul's instructing us. He's trying to help us. No, there's an intentionality here. We have to do something. We have to consciously be intentional about putting on clothes. And as we grow up, the other thing, too, um, we're going to hopefully want to put on these things rather than the things we read earlier in this chapter of Colossians covetousness, jealousy, selfishness, these kinds of things, anger. We want to be the kind of people over time that want to put on this list. Jax, my son, he hates coats. He hates them, doesn't want to wear them. It can be negative zero degree wind chill, and he doesn't, will not wear a coat. He fights it. But you don't have to get him to do anything to put on um, his basketball uniform, his basketball jersey. The kid's obsessed with basketball. Right? He sees it and he likes it. And he wants to just wear the clothes of the things that he loves. Right? So he even gets to the point where he's got his Thunder jersey on and he's drawing on his arms because he's seen Stephen Adams. He's got tats all the way up and down his arms. So he draws on his arms to look like Stephen Adams. And, and now at three years old, he knows what a man bun is. Thanks, Stephen. Like, he knows what a man bun is. And so he goes, oh, man bun. Oh, man bun. Like I'm raising some hipster fashion Easter or something. Like, I, like, sure, buddy, yeah, that's a man bun, I guess. But so what Jax is, he, he sees something that he likes and he wants to put on those clothes. It's the same with us. As we grow, we should want to put on these clothes, okay? So we have to be intentional about this. Verse 13, Paul says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Two things he's asking us to do, bear with one another and forgive one another. So when you're in a family, those of you who <coughs> grew up with really any kind of family, you knew that there was bickering. You annoyed each other. There were times you didn't like each other. But at the end of the day, you bared 
you bared underneath the weight of that stuff and remained family. Tried to make peace, forgive. And I think this is bearing and forgiving. Paul's saying that you're going to offend others and others are going to offend you. You need to be patient with people because no one's perfect. However, you also should be able to step in and say, hey, that, that bothered me or that hurt me. And be able to, to, to do that in a gentle way, in a civilized way. And he appeals to the forgiveness we've received in God. Like God has forgiven us when we didn't deserve it. So when we start thinking, yeah, but that person, no. Yeah, but they didn't apologize, no. Because if that's the way God treated us, Jesus would have never done what he did. That wouldn't have been applied to us. God forgave us unmerited. We did nothing to deserve that forgiveness. We didn't apologize, but God, yet God forgave us. We should be quick to forgive. Verse 14. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So Paul now elevates this idea of love and says this is the umbrella. This is the binding thing that pulls all of these things together. So we're going to spend some time looking at this idea of love. Okay, a lot of definitions. Culture tells us a lot about love. We have even in our mind, hey, what is love? We usually have pictures and stories and maybe movies that come to mind when you think of love. But to, because of the sake of, for the sake of time, let's go straight to the scriptures and look at what Jesus said about love. Luke 10, 27. These are the two greatest commands, two greatest commandments. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So both of these greatest commandments, all of the commands, all of the law can be summed up in these two things, and they both contain love. Love God, and we're to love others. And the Apostle John, who spent a lot of time with Jesus, was one of his closest friends when he was on earth, says this in a later letter, talking about love, kind of defining, like, like teasing that out more for us. Because still, loving your neighbor, that just doesn't... Okay, so, so what does that look like? What are we supposed to do? Here it is. By this we know love, John says, that he, this is Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Okay, brothers just means... Brothers and sisters, that's a gender-neutral world. That just means the community of faith, those who belong to the church. And uh, Eugene Peterson in the message translation, if you know that, it reads more like a commentary. I love the way he kind of makes a comment on this and paraphrases this. Verse 16 says, This is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers and not just be out for ourselves. Okay, so he's, again, this is all tied back to that list that we looked at. So love is the thing that binds all those together. So if you have to think of one thing and not the whole list, you go back to love. We are to love others the way we've been loved by Christ. And how does that look? Then you go back to the list and ask, compassion, meekness, humility, um, those sorts of things, okay? So how does this look? What, what does this look like practically um, in our lives. So I really want to <laughs> help us out here. I think the first thing we need to do is we need to pray that we would have opportunities to practice these things. Okay, like if you don't have the opportunity to, to practice loving others, especially when you don't really want to, especially when it's inconvenient, practice for these opportunities. Are you in any deep relationships that require you to exercise these things, to practice these things? It's really easy to be a mature Christian if you're not in any deep relationships, right? Like, 
Like all of these things have to get worked out in relationship. So one of the practical things we just have to look at our lives and say, am I in deep relationships that cause me to have to, to through God's grace and power, be compassionate to someone when really I don't want to be compassionate to them? Or to be humble when it's I don't really want to be humble. I want to talk about myself. I want this to be about me right now. So are we in these kinds of relationships where you can do that? Okay. One way to do it is you get married, right? Like those of you who are married, like, amen. Like, yeah, like in marriage, it, it's work. And a lot of it, because it's work, it's this kind of stuff all the time. Like you're together, you're one, you're working through. How does it look to, to show these kinds of things to one another when you have sin and brokenness and messes um, a part of that, Okay. Another thing, this is why we push MCs so much here, missional communities. This is our, our form of small groups, okay? We push this because of, this, of passages like this. You can't do 12, 13, and 14 if you just come to church once a week for an hour and a half and everybody looks the same direction and maybe you look eyeball to eyeball for five or ten minutes. Like, these things will never happen. They just won't. You have to go deeper into relationship, which is why... I think this is a, a huge part of what all churches should be about. You have to find these contexts to work this thing out. So if you're not in a missional community, get in one. If you're in a missional community, I would encourage you to, to um, lean into those relationships. Because here's the deal. You can go to missional community one night a week and treat it a little bit like a Sunday morning, right? Like you go in for two hours, see you next week, okay? And, and, and maybe you get a little bit more of this in those two hours, but... You have to lean into those relationships. Do you really know those people well? Do you trust those people well in missional communities? And the last one I would say is, is membership. We have membership coming up, so this is not intentional, but timely. Like we're, We have signups for membership happening right now, and this is what we think the Bible is clear on membership, that you should become a member of a church, a local church. Why? Because of passages like this. We want to say, I commit to be in these kinds of relationships. That's okay, what church membership is all about. So wherever you are on the spectrum here of relationships in the church, I encourage you to ask yourself, what's the, what's, where's the place I need to lean in into relationships? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you're not really leaning in at all relationally in your marriage. Please do that. But in the context of the church, where do you need to lean in more in relationships? Where do you need to invest more? Where do you need to be more vulnerable, more known in the body. That may be the next step for you. Um, one story <laughs> came to mind this week as I was thinking about this is when Nicole, we've been married for over 13 years now, Nicole and I have, and our first year of, of, uh, of, of our relationship when we were dating, we were both living in the same city in Texas, and we, uh, it was a year in, and things were really good. Like we, were, we felt like things were probably headed towards marriage, hadn't had a lot of major conflict, things were like Everything was checking out with both of us, and we were like, hey, this is really good. Things are going well. And we went to another part of Texas for a, a little event, drove down there together. While we were there, something happened, and we got into a, a fight. We got our, our first big, like, real conflict fight. And we discovered right then that we have opposite conflict styles. And it did not go well. And it escalated, and we, we said hurtful things to each other. And so we had to drive back to where we were both living after that. And Nicole got in her car at her house and just took off straight to Oklahoma. 
back up here to stay with friends. And, and here's what happened. We, it, it, it jarred us. Like we were in a kind of a serious state. It jarred us because we had to make this decision. And we both processed this. Like, okay, this is going to happen again. Like this is who we are. Is it worth moving in further, continue to go further in this relationship, getting married, if we know this is bound to happen? Is it worth it? Is the love and the connection that we're going to have and the partnership for the rest of our lives, is that going to be worth trying to figure out this conflict thing? 13 years later, we're still trying to figure it out, right? But I, for both of us, it, it's worth it. But we both had to step back and really in that moment, if she went to process and I was like, this is crazy. Like, I don't know if like this, this, is, this is maybe not repairable here. But obviously we made it through that. But the point is, is that Love can never um, be real unless, it, unless it's tried. Unless you tr- try it, you put yourself through it, and, and community is messy. It's the same with the church. Maybe to a slightly lesser degree than a marriage, but there's still something that you have to put in to be able to get the benefits out of it. Okay? Here's a few other things just before we close. These are just past, treat this as pastoral wisdom from being in different churches and looking. Here's some things that are going to come in the way that maybe Paul isn't talking about, that maybe fits our culture a little bit more of, of doing these things, okay? Um, we all have different personalities, right? Okay, so um, some of us are more introverted, some of us are more extroverted, okay? And I think that's a fairly common scale to figure out. This is an example of preferences. Like, so for you introverts, you may have to learn to have more conversations with people. You may learn how to ask those really awkward questions at the beginning of a friendship to get to know somebody to be able to actually practice these things. Extroverts, you may need to not talk to so many people and have so many relationships and actually drill deeper in those relationships, okay? Um, so don't, don't confuse, hey, I have a lot of relationships with actually deep friendships, okay? So both of you, introverts and extroverts, need to move towards the middle a little bit for, I think, some of this stuff to happen. Some of you all are big planners, some of you are more like fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants type people, okay? So for community, some of you are like, I need it on the calendar three months ahead of time, or I'm just not going to happen for us. So you may have to drop some of that and be willing to have more spontaneous community, right? Like be willing to just roll with some stuff. Things aren't always together. It may happen accidentally. And then those of you who are fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants persons and kind of reactive to community, you may, you're probably only spending time around people who are exactly like you that's the only way those kind of people can operate. You're probably stressed and your life is crazy. So you need to put some stuff on the calendar more often ahead of time to be able to connect with the other people. So, so these are the kind of things that I hear a lot in community. Another last thing is just showing up, right? Like there's something about the, over you know, several years in the church, just faithfully showing up when things are happening in the church, there's something really special and I think that pays major dividends over the long haul. We all want, I think, to, 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 to show up and, and God to do something like amazing. And oftentimes, God, you just show up to the mundane and there's like a conversation or you're in missional community and, and you just show up because you're just like, oh, I'll just come. It's what I'm supposed to do. Well, and you show up and there's this conversation and the spirit speaks to you through another person. You're like, that's why I was here. That's why I needed to be here. And you never, ever know when that's going to happen unless you show up to these kinds of things, okay? Here's the deal. Like, I, there's a lot of times when I don't want, not, I may say a lot, that's unfair. Like, I, there are times that I just don't want to go to MC. I don't want to do MC. 
You know, I, it's, just, it's just easier if, if, if I just can <coughs> be with Nicole and Jax at home. But here's the deal. I can't think of a time when after MC was over that I look back and be like, yep, that was a waste of time. Never. It's always like, you know what? Like it was hard like in the afternoon when I was thinking about it. But once people started getting here, I started catching up. I like these people. Like it, 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 and it was a beneficial night. And I think that's part of it. Like we're not going to always want to do stuff. But sometimes we just need to do the stuff we don't want to do because there's a promise that God will benefit us and grow us and increase us when we show up and relationships are present. This is hard. This is hard stuff. This is, this is a challenge that God has put before us right through the word. And I want to end with this. And this is the gospel. This is this is why we're putting on the, the wardrobe now of kindness and humility. This is what God's doing behind the scenes. Colossians 3.1. It'll be on the screens. It says, if, this is the way Paul starts this entire chapter, by the way, okay? So everything flows from this. If, then, you have been raised with Christ. Let's just stop there. If you've been raised, Christ is alive. The tomb is empty. He, he's risen and he lives in us through his spirit. And this is what gives us the power and the motivation to be able to put on any of that stuff. So while we're putting on and practicing this and doing this, the Spirit is working inside of us because Jesus is alive. And God is building his church. He's gathering a people for himself for the end, where this is all heading. So God will move you there if you're open to it, okay? If you're open to it and you trust that he's alive and he lives in you and he wants to build his church. Let's pray.